<clears throat> Welcome to the first episode of the Morbid Malaysian Podcast. I am your Morbid Malaysian host, Ira. <laughs> wow. Seriously? Just wow. It's a little bit surreal that I'm sitting here recording this right now as we speak, or before you listen to it at least. And the thought that someone out there is actually sitting down, or maybe even standing up, or maybe even walking. But the fact that you're listening to this right now is even more surreal to me. I have been an avid consumer of true crime for as long as I could remember. I mean, some of my favorite shows growing up were CSI, um, oh my god, my favorite of all time is Criminal Minds. That's my jam. I started watching that when I was 11 or 12. I can't remember, but I was so hooked on it as a teen. And what really inspired me to start this podcast was the Rotten Mango podcast by Stephanie Sue, which in my humble opinion is one of the best podcasts. I don't really want to say that outright but in my personal opinion it's one of my favorites seriously i love it so much if you love true crime you love a gripping story and you love great storytelling and a cute host <laughs> you can try to check out the rotten mango podcast anywhere that you get your podcast but listening and consuming all of this true crime content i noticed that they're mostly talking about like western crimes but I realized that there isn't much exposure on local crimes, which I believe there really needs to be. There needs to be a lot more exposure on Malaysian crimes, not just in a reportive sense of like, oh, this is a sad thing that happened, but more of a way of remembering the victims for who they once were before their lives were robbed from them and their family. I mean... We have to remember them somehow. And I just love to think that even when um, people are gone, people have been taken away from us, that their stories will always continue to live on, even if they're not here anymore. For this special launch of this podcast, I wanted to give you an insight into the case that not only introduced me to the true crime world at a very young age, but also changed the course of my entire life as a child growing up. I mean, my parents, especially my mom, was paranoid as heck, okay? But when this case blew up on mainstream media back then, she just lost it, okay? Yeah, we were never allowed to leave our house at all. Like, I had no friends in my neighborhood, okay? They always made sure that the moment they leave the house, we lock the door. They will not leave unless we lock it in front of them. Even if my dad was like just goes outside of the car, we would have to lock it ASAP. Like he's watching us, okay? And they just kept an eye on us at all times. And at the time, I remember thinking it was so annoying that my parents are so overprotective. And for maybe some of you listening to this, you're like, oh, that's so suffocating. Like, I cannot live like that. But now looking back and reading about stuff like this, I fully understand why she would go a thousand miles and back for her children's safety. I mean, why wouldn't you? You love your child, right? Anyway, back to the case. 
Today we're talking about the tragic case of Noreen Jaslin. I'm sure the name may be a little bit familiar to some of you. I mean, it has to be, right? I mean, this was one of the most widespread cases in Malaysia that even our friends from the West played a role in it too. Yeah, it was that big. Which we'll get more into later. But for a few of you who may be wondering, who is Nurin Jaslin? Nurin was born a beautiful baby girl in Wangsamaju, Kuala Lumpur on September 11th, 1999 to a wonderful family that consisted of her parents, uh, Mr. Jazimin Abdul Jalil, and her mother, Mrs. Nor Azian Bistaman, along with her two other sisters. Nurin was the second daughter out of the three in her family, which means that she was the middle child. And if you are a middle child listening to this, then you most probably can relate to the fact that she was pretty much the mediator between her sisters. If any of them got into an argument, got into a fight, she would be the one to bring peace between them, to kind of calm everyone down. And that's why her relatives described her as a cute, bubbly child who is respectful and loving and so obedient to her family she brought so much life and joy into everyone's lives despite just being eight years old when she was taken away from them tragedy struck the family on august 20th 2007 when little norin was so ecstatic to be able to go to a nearby Pasamalam, which if you don't know what a Pasamalam is, it's essentially a night market that is held once a week in some areas. And sometimes during uh, festivities or anything like that, we have night markets where they sell food, clothes, etc., etc. And in this particular one, in Section 1 Wang Sumaju, Nurin wanted to buy her favorite hair clip. Okay, I know what you're thinking. This is probably ringing alarm bells in your head right now. But you have to remember that back in the day, like early 2000s, or even before that, people just had good faith in humanity, okay? It was not an uncommon thing for children to roam the streets unsupervised, as long as they were out for an appropriate amount of time. Unfortunately, this was not one of those times. After a long time had passed, the Pasamalam's lights began to dim and little Nurin had yet to turn up at home, which made her parents extremely worried. They knew Nurin. They knew that she knew her curfew. She knew how long that, you know, she had to take to buy her little hair clip. But she wouldn't take this long to a point where it would be closed, right? So the family frantically searched high and low for Nurin, but to no avail. In a desperate plight to find their now-missing daughters, the parents turned to the authorities for help. They hurried to a nearby police station to file a missing persons report. What ensued was a nationwide search for the missing child, which wasn't just participated by the local authorities, but also local NGOs and even media outlets that continuously updated any detail that was relevant to the case. There were just never-ending slews of broadcasts and headlines talking about her disappearance in hopes that anyone at all would see this and maybe know something and it would widen the search for Nurin. While the broadcasts shed light onto Nurin's case, 
It also unfurled a sense of panic and paranoia within the hearts of parents across Malaysia who began to take more extra precautions to keep their own children safe. Side note, um, during this time, my parents became extremely worried about my brother and I, who were actually around Nurin's age at the time of her disappearance. My mother would get worried sick whenever I took too long to play with my friends after school ended or when I wander far away from her field of vision at the mall, you know, she she was just she was just really overprotective. And if we disobeyed her, she would she would just lose it, okay? But after reading into this case, I honestly wouldn't blame her at all. Losing your child is really, really scary, and I honestly wouldn't wish that on anyone, even my worst enemy. But back to the case. During the investigation, the police gained access to the nearby CCTV footage to assist in locating Nurin's whereabouts. One of these said footages changed the course of the case and brought a shiver down every officer's spine as they viewed the video of a young child being forcefully dragged into a white van on the same night that Nurin disappeared seemingly without a trace. This is now no longer any average runaway child or anything like that. Nurin Jaslin was abducted and they needed to find her before it was too late. Throughout the entire search for Nurin, her parents had put up a tip line to desperately try to grasp at any leads as to where their daughter could be. I mean, if you were in that position, you would try anything as long as you could get your child back, right? So, of course, they took matters into their own hands. Not saying that the authorities didn't do anything. They did a lot. But as parents, you want to be able to help be a part of the search for your own child, right? So, that's why they set up this tip line, which I honestly understand. However, in an interview years after, Mr. Jazimin, who is Nurin's father, recounted the disappointing amount of prank calls and false leads that were just honestly like a spit to their face in a time of need. Ah, this is going to be so frustrating for some of you. But some of these calls boldly claimed that Nurin was in this unknown person's care or that the child didn't even want to go home anymore, that they were so much happier in this new person's care. <sighs> That's so annoying, honestly. These relentless calls almost made the family's hope in finding Nurin falter. However, the family gathered themselves and found the strength to press on for the sake of Nurin. However, not every tale has a happy ending. No matter how much we want one, no matter how much they honestly deserve it, you might not get what you want. On the morning of 17th September 2007, Cheng Feng the supervisor of a book distributing company in Pataling Jaya, which is about 16 kilometers away from the location where Nurin was originally taken from in Wangsamaju, she stumbled upon a curious bag outside their company's premises. The woman curiously looked at the mysterious black and blue sports bag, but she's thinking like, okay, that's weird. I'm coming into work. Suddenly, there's a bag in front of our shop, but I'm not going to question it, okay? Mm, I'm, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to touch anything. I don't 
want to pry into anyone's business. So she decided, okay, maybe I'm just going to leave this untouched. Maybe it's the general manager's bag. And that's what she assumed. And so she left it untouched for him to find. 30 minutes later, general manager Jackio arrived at work and he saw the bag and he was like, what? What? what why is this here? Cheng's probably like, I don't know. I thought it was yours. Jack is like, no, it's not mine. Okay. And he insisted that this is weird. And if it was even mine, why would I leave it outside? You know, I could just put it inside for safekeeping. If I left it outside, you know, maybe someone might steal it. So why would I put it there? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And so the both of them are confused now. But Jack decided, maybe I should take a peek inside. Maybe I can find out whose it is and then get some insight into who it might be so I could contact them to take it back. Unfortunately for Jack, he would never find the owner. Or honestly, he would never find peace of mind after opening that bag because he was definitely not prepared for the sight that was about to unfold. Trigger warning. This is the part of the podcast where things are about to get a little bit gruesome. If you're sensitive to topics of death, abuse of any kind, and the like, please just skip this whole part to the end, okay? Or, in fact, you could just click off. I don't mind. I don't want anyone to be uncomfortable. I don't want to trigger anyone, okay? So, just a little trigger warning. For the brave and the strong-willed, let's continue on. Inside the bag was the small, broken body of a young girl, estimated to be between the age of six to nine years old. Upon seeing this horrifying sight, the police were immediately contacted and the bag was brought into the station. They performed an autopsy on the body and tried to find any evidence of what had happened to this young girl. The postmortem only revealed a few things. One is that the girl had bruises that littered her neck, which suggested a strangulation. There were also signs of bruising around the victim's hands. And hauntingly enough, the coroner found that the victim had a cucumber and brinjal stuffed into their private parts. It honestly takes a really, really sick person to do that. The Pataling Jaya Police Chief Assistant Dato Arjunaidi Muhammad confirmed that the victim had been deceased for more than six hours before her body was later discovered by the unlucky shop owners. Upon hearing the news of this discovery, Nurin's parents were promptly called into the station where they had to identify the cold body of the young girl. Sadly, due to the state of the body itself, um, it was so gruesome that it became difficult for the parents to identify their daughter. And so they began to just think, there's no way that this is my child. It's no way it's Nurin. You know, they even thought that maybe it's a foreigner, you know, because the body was missing a certain mark. So for all Malaysians right now, if you're listening to this, um, you can lift the left sleeve of your shirt um, and you can feel around. There's a little weird mark over there, right? And this mark is an injection mark given to every Malaysian child at a very young age to prevent tuberculosis. And that's what they really wanted to believe. 
of course of course i mean this is their daughter they don't want to accept the possibility that the daughter is no longer here so of course they're thinking this is not my child reality is much bitter though because dna results only solidified their worst nightmare as it confirmed that it was in fact nurin the child of mr jasmin and mrs norazian I can only imagine the hurt in their hearts upon hearing this news. I mean, think about it. You birth this child, you raise them and give them all of your love, everything you could just for them to be taken away in the most heartless way possible. It was definitely a lot of pressure on not just the parents but now the authorities after this case blew up on mainstream media. The parents received so much backlash from netizens who criticize them and believe that they should be the ones charged with child neglect which is just insane to me okay this is a weird concept that i have with netizens is like when someone is hurt why add salt to the wound right especially in cases like this you think they want their child to be abducted you think they want their child to go missing especially when they show them so much love <sighs> It's just it's so frustrating. I'm getting angry just talking about this right now, but on a good note, at least. The vice chairman of the Malaysian Crime Prevention Foundation at the time, Tan Sri Lee Lam Tai, I hope I said that right, stated that charging them with child neglect on top of them losing their beloved child just doesn't make sense. It's not even their fault. It's at the hands of someone else, some other sick monster. And better yet, you know what they should be focusing on? The public and the authorities should instead band together and focus on finding who did this to her, who the murderer is. On the 28th of September, 2007, four men and one woman were arrested in connection to the abduction and murder of Nurin Jaslin. They were heavily interrogated, but were soon released due to the lack of evidence that really pisses me off <laughs> but after hitting a wall in the investigation the police offered a reward of up to 10,000 ringgit to anyone who has solid information on the perpetrator but when there wasn't a lot of new leads or new leads that they could use The reward was soon bumped up to 20,000 ringgit when an anonymous private businessman chipped into the cause. About 2 weeks after the release of the potential suspects that I mentioned earlier, the police publicly released CCTV footage that depicted a man carrying a similar bag to the one that Nurin was found in. He was seen with a woman in a red dress along with three other men that were lurking around the area that the bag was dropped off at. When they couldn't further identify the suspects, the Royal Malaysian Police reached out to the West for help. The United States Federal Bureau of Investigation or better known as the FBI played a role in the case by assisting in enhancing the CCTV footage of the suspects that I talked about earlier in hopes of maybe finding any leads just to at least identify who these people are maybe the vehicle maybe the like anything okay frustratingly enough um they failed to reveal the identity of the motorcyclist or even the license plate of the motorcycle that was allegedly used to transport the victim <sighs> a 
family scarred, a life lost, and a nation stricken with grief. Where does that leave us? There surely has to be a happy ending, right? I mean, the killer has to be behind bars now, right? It's been years, right? (sighs) I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but it has been about 15 years since Nurin Jaslin was abducted, violated, and murdered. And yet, the killer is still out there, still lurking among us. Despite the heartbreaking nightmare that befell Norin's family, they remained super strong and super optimistic for the future. I mean, Norin's uncle, Mr. Jasni Abdul Jalil, and several others drafted a proposal in December of 2007 to create an alert system known as the Nationwide Urgent Response Information Network, which stands for the Norin Alert. They started it because they were inspired by the United States Missing Broadcast Emergency Response, or better known as the Amber Alert, which was intended to immediately track missing children through a comprehensive network that involved authorities and the community. They named it after the case of um, an eight-year-old named Amber Hagerman, who too was kidnapped and murdered in 1996. Upon submitting the proposal to the Ministry of Women, Family, and Community Development, we now have what we know as Talian Kase. This hotline serves to aid in issues such as domestic violence, child abuse, general welfare, child care, mental health support, and many more by connecting you to the proper channels or authorities. As of 2018, though, Mr. Jasmin has continuously urged the police to reopen Nurin's case in hopes of catching the atrocious murder, at least with more modern technology. Sadly, there was little to no response to his pleas, and today, in 2022, this case remains unsolved. And that was the case of Nurin Jaslin Jasmin. A bright light of love and positivity that was burnt out at the hands of an evil person or people. I remember at the time of all of this happening that I really couldn't understand why my mother was so annoying, so overprotective, and why she was so bothered by the case in the first place. But now that I'm researching this and going through it, like I fully 100% understand the fear that must have consumed every parent from inside out. What also made me so connected to the case is just the fact that Nurin was born in the same year as I was, 1999, meaning we were actually the same age when she went missing and eventually killed. This is a really tough case for me to cover because I remember seeing her face everywhere on posters, on newspapers, on TV, and it was honestly really haunting thinking about it and reliving that. Um, I cried a lot, and I'm about to cry. I'm about to get emotional. (laughs) But yeah, I cried a lot, like multiple times while I'm making this episode, like when I was researching, when I was writing it, even when I was proofreading it, like telling this story to my boyfriend, and I was crying about it because... There's just one thing that keeps bringing tears to my eyes is this thought that crossed my mind. 
Had she been found, survived by some miracle, would she be alive today? Would she be a beautiful and wonderful young girl going through her early to mid-twenties, learning, laughing, living? That thought just kills me inside. It hurts so much to think about. And if I could feel this amount of pain from hearing or just learning about this, I cannot imagine the torture that the family must have gone through through the entire time. And even till now, after 15 years, must be a lot for them. So let's have a quick moment of silence to send a prayer for the family of Nurin Jaslin and may her soul rest easy. Before we end, if you are dealing with issues regarding yours or your child's mental, physical, and emotional well-being, you can contact Talian Kase at 1599 or WhatsApp them at 019-261-5999. Again, that's Talian Kase at 1599 for calling or WhatsApp them at 019-261-5999 for support. Do keep in mind that this is a government line, so tread lightly. And remember, keep yourselves and your loved ones safe. We live in a very scary world and it's only getting scarier. A monster still lurks among us after all. <sighs> that was a heavy episode. It was the first, but kind of heavy. Um... <laughs> But I really appreciate for anyone who who's just made it to the end of this episode. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. And just remember, besides all of the things that happened, you are loved, you are appreciated, if not by anyone, by me. And I hope that you will hear from me again sometime soon. Ira, signing out.